Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us on the South Shore right now, the Gulf Coast, all the men and women that are joining us at the Orleans Justice Center and online. Come on, can we just welcome all those men and women right now? So excited to have you guys here at Little Creek. We are finishing up our six-week series today uh, on 1 Thessalonians. Again, if you've not been here, uh, every year I do a book of the Bible in the beginning of the school year. Uh, I think when our kids go back to school, adults should go back to school as well. Uh, I also do a book of the Bible uh, in the spring, so try to do twice a year on the weekend. And uh, if you've not been here as well, the last two weeks, the last two weeks, I taught a lot about uh, the end times, and I had graphs and charts and felt like a TV preacher. I wanted to have a pointer, but I couldn't find one. And uh, so I, I want to encourage you if, you, if you weren't here, uh, you can go online. Matter of fact, you can go online and you can download that information. Of course, we do give away our free CDs at all of our campuses as well. I think it would be helpful for you, all right? Today, I want to finish up our series on 1 Thessalonians and a message I've entitled Spiritual Relationships. Spiritual Relationships. In this chapter, Paul is closing out his first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Remember, Paul is a spiritual father. When did he plant this church? He planted this church a year and a half before this writing. At this time of the writing, he was in Corinth. He actually wrote this letter, gave it to Timothy who was a son in the faith, to bring back to the church at Thessalonica. We read about the planting of the church in Acts chapter 17. Paul was only there for three weeks. Thessalonica would be in modern-day Greece today. He was there for three weeks. People got saved, born again. He discipled them, laid foundations. And he heard about their progress in the faith. He was a proud papa. He was, he was excited about what was going on in their life spiritually. And he hears from Timothy, and he writes this letter to send back to them to encourage them, to build them up, to admonish them. And I want to begin by asking this. I want to begin by asking a question. What would you tell somebody if you had 60 seconds to tell them the most valuable information you could? What would you say to them? I want you to think about that. Maybe it was a son or a daughter going to college, and you were going to talk to them for, I don't know, for three or four months or Maybe it was somebody that was going into the military and they were going to, 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 to some part of the world that wasn't close by and you, and you weren't sure when you were going to talk to them again. What, what would you tell them for 60 seconds? I mean, if somebody had a stopwatch that, all right, ready? Go. What would you say to them? It's interesting if you look here in 1 Thessalonians and if you actually take a stopwatch from verse 12 all the way down to the end, it's approximately, give or take, a couple seconds. It takes about 60 seconds to read these last maybe 16, 17, 18 verses that Paul writes right here. And I believe it is chalked full of some of the best advice that Paul has ever given, inspired by God. We believe the scripture is inspired by God. It's not human thoughts and human opinions, but it's, it, is, it is insight that Paul gives inspired by God to equip the church in the last few moments of this letter. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
And I want us to think about it. I want us to go through. We're gonna we're gonna have our stopwatch in the sense, and and, and we're gonna or turn over the turn over the minute glass, and, and we're gonna look at what are the quote four attitudes that I believe Paul outlines for an unshaken life. By the way, if you haven't been here, the whole series was called Unshaken. Everybody say unshaken. Unshaken. And the premise is, just like in Paul's day, it is today, that we go through circumstances. We experience things, man, that come and they buffet us and they challenge our faith. But we can live, listen, not trial-free, but unshaken in our faith. That we can be strong in our faith regardless of what happens in our life. So I want to talk to you about what I believe Paul outlines in this last minute this last minute, all right, of his time writing to this church, what I would call four attitudes of an unshaken life. And it's interesting how he breaks it out because it's really four relationships that we have with different aspects in life. It's, inter- it's attitudes towards these relationships, relationship toward God, relationship towards authority, relationship to one another, relationship to circumstances, relationships to our enemies. It's interesting how Paul gives us attitudes that we need to imbibe and embody in our relationships. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to 13. Number one, Paul talks about living peaceably with one another. The first attitude we have to have towards relationships is we have to learn to live, everybody say it, peaceably peaceably with one another. Look what Paul says. Again, this is it. 59 seconds, 58 seconds. Here we go. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you. Now, that's an interesting concept. Who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. In other words, those that are in authority. Paul talks about it. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. So Paul, as he begins the stopwatch, he thinks it's important to remind them. Remember this, Paul was there. Paul was the papa. Paul was the daddy for three weeks. And he was the one that birthed this church. And now, as he's now a year and a half removed from that planting, he hears about their growth and their development and their progress. And he emphasizes them together. Hey, guys, hey, hey, listen. This is important, all right? These are the last few things I'm going to say to you. Here it is. Remember, honor those and esteem those that are among you in authority. Isn't that interesting? It's really interesting today in our culture that authority is perceived as very suspect oftentimes. Whether it's in the home, whether it's politically speaking, whether it's in a church, a business, it's almost like in our culture today you get extra credit for being critical of authority. There's a suspicion. There's a suspicion towards it. Similar to in Paul's day, there was a suspicion towards, okay, wait, Paul, we know that, we know that you were the leader. We know that you were this great leader, but all these people around us, and, and, and after all, by the way, by the way, we see some faults and some weaknesses in them. Isn't it interesting how we can dismantle somebody in authority based upon something that we actually have in our own lives as well? Are you with me? Well, I'm not going to listen to my dad because he's this, or I'm not going to listen to this man. And after all, I'm smarter than them. Since when does, quote, our IQ determine whether or not we submit to authority? Boy, you're preaching good this morning, Pastor. (laughs) One of the greatest, I believe one of the greatest moments of 
spiritual and emotional maturity in our lives is when we submit to somebody based upon their position and not necessarily based upon their IQ or not necessarily based upon, well, they're smarter or they're not smarter. But we recognize that in God's sovereignty, God sets authorities in our lives. And Paul said this. He says, I want you, listen, not just to recognize, but I want you to esteem them highly. Wow. Anything, any, there is anything but that in our culture today. Again, you get extra credit. Everybody's got social media. Everybody's got an opinion about political leaders. Everybody's got an opinion about a business leader. Everybody's got an opinion about a pastor. And everybody's got an opinion about a, a mom or a dad or a coach or a teacher. I mean, we are so quick to give our opinion and to dismantle them. And Paul says, time out. Be careful. Be careful because you're sowing that. You're going to reap it. Be careful. You look at a culture, you look at countries when nobody's in charge. Look at Afghanistan. Nobody knows who's in charge over there. You look at Iraq. Nobody knows. Nobody quite knows. You look at a church. Nobody knows. Wait, so who's in charge? And what about the home? And what about parents? Oh, no, no, the kids run it. Hey, time out, time out. God instituted authority. Now, let's bring up the next question. Pastor, what about when there's bad authorities? Of course there's bad political leaders. Of course there's rotten pastors. Of course there's terrible parents. Of course all that. But God still institutes authority. And he says, esteem them highly. Wow. There's something in our hearts that God is checking. God is checking. I, I'll never forget when I was 30, I went to my pastor in Metairie, and I told my pastor, I said, Pastor, I, I, was, I was a youth evangelist, and I felt like uh, God was stirring in my heart to pastor a church. I went to my pastor, and I said, uh, I didn't just send myself. I said, Pastor, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to submit this to you, whatever you feel. And, and so he told me about about three months later, he says, I really feel like you should go to the North Shore. I said, oh, gosh, you know, I just don't know about that. He says, no, I really, there was a church that I had started, and it folded, and two of these guys, these main guys had come, and they said that, you know, they were looking for a young pastor. To, and I said, Oof, man, I'm just not really sure about that. And about five times, five times, he said, Steve, I really feel you need to pray about this. I really feel like this is God. I said, all right. So I came over here, and, and there was a, a group of people, 19 people, Church of the King, by the way, was never my idea. It was never my idea. It was God's idea, and it was, it was my pastor that sent me over here. This wasn't, I have a dream. It was, I was sent. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I showed up, and my pastor, at the time, Frank Bailey, and, my, and, and Pastor Jacob Aranza, who's my pastor now, these two men laid hands on me, and they set me in as the pastor, and we started the church. I was 30 years old. Matter of fact, the first, the first year I'd get up there, I never got so, you know, I really, this really wasn't my idea. This wasn't my plan. I'm just kind of here, and God sent me here. My pastor sent me here. My wife finally told me after service, she goes, you're discouraging people. <laughs> At some point, you need to let them know that you're into this. I said, I am. I'm just saying, you know. But I'm going to tell you one thing that I have a tremendous confidence, and I say this humbly and respectfully. I know that I was under authority, and I was sent here by God, and God used men to set me in as a pastor. This isn't my idea. And that gives you a strength in life. When you honor and esteem those in authority, it brings a confidence in your soul. Look at verse 14. Paul says, now we exhort you, brethren. Okay, now he's going to talk about some other relationships. This gets interesting. Stay with me. All right, remember, we're about to have about 52 seconds. 
We're getting close to 52, 50 seconds here, all right? So, so number one, you're going away to college. By the way, we ought to probably do this. Number one, esteem those in authority, even though that they may, even though their character may not, still there's an office and God will either remove them or put somebody else in, but we want to still esteem. We want to keep authority in a place that it's right and it's appropriate and it's from God. Number two, there's going to be some different people that you relate to, and you're going to have to watch this. Relate to them differently based upon where they are. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Oh, that's heavy. It's in the Bible. Comfort the faint-hearted. That's a different, hmm. And uphold the weak. Three different groups. And be what? Everybody say it. I hate when God uses that word. Does God not understand that we have cell phones? Does God not understand we live in a 24? This only applied before the Industrial Revolution, Jesus. <laughs> Be patient with all. Let's talk about these three groups. Number one, warn the unruly. Another word for unruly is undisciplined, lazy, and idle. Paul says warn them. Why warn them? Matter of fact, there was a, something that was happening. If you read 1 Thessalonians and actually get into 2 Thessalonians, Chapter 3, Paul goes up another level and he talks about, hey, there were some people that were quitting their jobs, living off of the generosity of some other believers. They thought they were just going to sit home all day long and pray. And, and Paul says, ah, no, 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 no. You don't work, you don't eat. There's a, there, there's a principle here. And they were off track. And he says, hold on. If you're undisciplined, you don't walk and live in the blessing of God. There's a, there's a, there's a certain sense of you having to put your hand to the plow yourself. Obviously, there's physical limitations at times. Obviously, there's mental incapacities. I'm not talking about that. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about you need to come along to the undisciplined and say, hey, listen, you need to do your share. Genesis 2.15, God put Adam in the garden, and he told him to tend it. He told him to work the field. So number one, he says, warn the undisciplined. Number two, encourage the faint-hearted. This group is to be related to it in an all too def different way. So number one, I'm warning the undisciplined. Hey, man, you need, to, you need to rise up, man. You need to grip it. But then there's the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted, it's not an issue of discipline. It's an issue of emotional despondency. The way they see themselves, the way they see God, the way they see life. And these group, this group, it's not a discipline issue. They need to be encouraged. They are discouraged. They need to be in encouraged. They need to be lifted up. I never forget a number of years ago, I remember seeing Blindside. How many of y'all saw the movie Blindside? Y'all remember seeing that? Do you remember, remember the, the, the lady in there? Of course, it's Sandra Bullock is the actual lady. That's her, her name. But the, the movie name was, I think, Leanne Tui. And, and she had Michael Orr, who was a, a, a huge man, and, uh, but he, had, he lacked confidence. He lacked confidence tremendously, and he was, just, he was just playing under his potential. He was a football player, and he had been bounced around in homes and stuff, and, and in essence, she became a mom to him. That's who she was, and, and, and at practice, he was getting banged around, and she went out there, and she grabbed his face mask. Do y'all remember that, that scene? And she told him, and she said, you listen to me. You protect that quarterback just like you protect your family. And she, she spoke. She encouraged him. She spoke destiny and potential, and all of a sudden, he came alive. It's like he became a different person. It's amazing what encouragement can do. It encourages you. It gives you courage. There's a power on the inside. 
Of course, it's, that's a true story, by the way. And then he goes on to, 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 to Ole Miss, and then he goes on to the Baltimore Ravens, I think, and, 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 and he, he becomes an all-pro. It's a true story. But what happened? It took somebody to, everybody say, in what? Courage. When you encourage, you put courage in somebody's heart. And we need to put courage in people's heart. When they're discouraged, when they're down on themselves, they're down on their future, they're down on life, they're, they're a believer. We ought to be lifters. That's who we ought to be as Christians. We ought to come along, and you can do it with God, and God before you, who can be against you? Number three, the third category of people is that we've got to strengthen the weak. We've got to strengthen the weak. Now, the weak, there's a practical dimension. So we're going to warn the unruly, tighten up, we're going to encourage the discouraged, but we've also got to strengthen the weak. What does that mean? We've got to practically help them, whether it's physically, financially. There's something that we practically have to do. Those that are weak, those that are not making a lot. It's not necessarily emotional despondency. They don't have a skill. There's something that they're lacking in life, albeit financially or physically. I want to say this. I think this beautifully plays out at Church of the King and those of you that have unselfishly taught, whether it's Crown Financial or uh, we now have Financial Peace, we have, we're, we're in the top 10 in America of amount of people that have gone through Crown Financial. We're now doing Financial Peace. We still have Crown, but we've had close to 7,000 adults. But let me tell you, go through the curriculum, but let me tell you why. Because those of you that have said, you know what, I'm going to strengthen the weak, those that need to understand how to budget, those that, understand how to, that need to understand how to do money God's way and get on track God's way according to God's principles and God's way. But I want to thank those of you, the hundreds and hundreds of small group leaders that have practically strengthened those that were weak in their understanding of how to manage finances God's way. Can we give it up for all the small group leaders? Come on. All those crown leaders. I mean, that's what you guys have done. You have strengthened the weak. And we've seen the fruit of it in the lives of thousands of people in our church. Verse 15, look at this. Again, I probably got 45 seconds, maybe 42 seconds. These are practical encouragements, man. We, this is something that we need to put. These are some tools that we need to put in our toolbox. These are some things that we need to take with us wherever we go. Look what it says here, verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. See that no one renders evil for evil. Notice, in the first century, the spirit-filled church had injustices that were happening, hurt feelings. And Paul's instruction was twofold. Number one, he said, do not Render evil for evil. In other words, when somebody hurts you, don't try to get even. Boy, isn't that tough. I hate when God puts these scriptures in there. I mean, patience, don't render evil for evil. God, how many times have you been hurt? And boy, you get clipped, something happens, and they, somebody mismanaged you, somebody did something to you, and... That thing starts, boil. come on, you know what I'm talking about. Thing starts boiling up on the inside of you. It's like, I know I'm a Christian, but I'm going to get them. <laughs> Paul says, don't do that. Don't render evil for evil. Don't, don't do that. As a matter of fact, he said it's not, I know this is double negative for all the English teachers, it's not, not good enough not just to render evil for evil, but you also have to pursue what is good. 
So it's not just making the right choice not to react, but it's also pursue what is good. So, so, so in other words, somebody that wrongs you, it's not just to not, double negative, not do a wrong, but also, why don't you sell a right? Boy, that's another level. Pastor, how do you deal with this? I'm growing. That's good, huh? I'm growing. Remember, I'm the one that coined the line. I don't care what any other preacher says. I'm the one that said it first. I'm not where I want to be. Come on. But I'm not where I what? Now, now, if anybody writes a book on that, I'm telling you, that was from me. Why is that? Because I know that I'm in process. I'm in process. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. People have disappointed me before. People have let me down. People have said things. Look, I'm a pastor. I get it. I'm a human being. I'm also married. I have children. People say things. I hear comments. I hear comments when people say stuff about me. I get that. I get back when people, oh, you know, pastor, you know. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, people come in our church. People go. Thank God more coming than going. That's a good thing. But I get it. I hear things, you know. And so I said, remember, I'm a human being. I'm not like, I am Klingon. I talk. Bible scripture. So I, I, I hear when people say stuff about, I mean, I do, you know, Pastor, the messages aren't deep enough or they're too deep or, you know what, it's too charismatic or not charismatic enough. You know, why is he dressing now? Next thing he knows, he can wear flip-flops. I mean, my gosh. He, <laughs> he used to wear a suit and he was so handsome back then. Well, I'm still handsome. God bless your ministry too. <laughs> Praise God. I, I, I hear all that stuff. I get it. But one of the things that I've learned, I'm learning to not return, but also to not return, either, but also to bless. Everybody say bless. Hey, I'm learning a secret, and it's in the Bible. Matthew 5, But I say, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. It is impossible to pray for those that hurt you and for your heart to remain the same. It's impossible. I'm learning that. I pray for them. I bless them. I bless. And sometimes you got to just do it by faith. Matter of fact, you always start in faith. I bless them. Oh, I bless them, all right. <laughs> A little fire would help. Lightning. But I bless them in the name of Jesus. I just bless them, God. I bless them. Yeah. How did I say, how did I do? You know? But if you just pray blessing, you speak light, you pray God prosper them, God help them, God bless them, God lift them. You keep doing it. I'm telling you. Well, here it is. It's like your, your heart's a well. And what we do is we drop a pail down. Watch this. We drop it a pail, and that pail goes down. And the more that you're blessing them out of your mouth, the more that pail is just pulling up all that junk in your heart. It's just blessing them, and it's like you're pumping it. And just get, it's just getting it out. Everybody say, bless them. Come on, just bless them. Yeah, we got to just bless them. <sighs> Wait, the stopwatch is rolling. I got to keep moving. Here you go. I don't know how many seconds I got. Paul's at about 30 seconds. So he's talking about honoring those that are in authority. He's talking about living at peace if you can. He's talking about different groups. Uh, warn the unruly. Encourage the discourage. You know, practically help the weak. Bless your enemies. 
Oh, man, where are we? Number two, oh, gosh, this is a big one. Live with a good attitude in spite of your circumstances. That's a good piece of advice. Nobody said that everything's going to be easy. You kidding me? Look, look what he says right here. Verse 16 and 18. Rejoice always. Everybody say rejoice always. Rejoice. To rejoice. To pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul says rejoice. It means to be cheerful at all times and in all things. I don't want anybody to tell me to rejoice when I'm going through a hard time. Why? Because I, I, don't, I don't want to rejoice. I, I want to be discouraged. I, I, I want to, but, 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 but Paul says rejoice. Why? Because God is working. You don't see it. We don't see the whole picture. But God is working. In spite of what's going on, in spite of what's happening, in spite of what's been done to us, in spite of the decisions we've made that have got us in a jam, in spite of the decisions that others have made that have got us in a jam, God is still working. He's working. By the way, I taught last weekend, uh, I talked about the first temple that was built 1,000 B.C.-ish or so by Solomon, and then it was destroyed around 500 B.C. by the Babylonians. Actually, 586 ultimately it was destroyed. And I talked about when, the, when the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, went into captivity, 70-year captivity. Isn't it interesting? One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible that I quote all the time was actually written to the Jews when they were in captivity because of their sin. By the way, look what he says. Jeremiah 29, 11. Talk about, talk about rejoicing. Here's what he says. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. These people were in captivity because of their choices. And God says, I still have a plan for your life. Regardless of the circumstances that have happened. Now, by the way, let me qualify something. I do not believe the Bible teaches that all bad things that happen in our lives are God sending a test. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I believe we live in a fallen world. And I also believe there's a real devil that comes to seek to steal, kill, and destroy. I do believe that God is so powerful and so great that God can use all the negative things and turn them around for our good and his glory. But I don't believe God sends them. But I believe God uses them. Isn't that cool? That's how redemptive God is. And so the reality is you're going through negative circumstances in your life. I'm not suggesting that God sent him. I am suggesting you've got a choice. How are you going to respond in those? How are you going to let God work in you in those, regardless of what they are, regardless of how unfair it may be, regardless of what a bummer deal it may be, regardless of, well, they didn't have that happen to them. I, I, um, I've begun a process of getting a guy here, I've got two contacts to get this guy here to speak to you guys. One of the most powerful speakers in the world, literally. He speaks, he's a Christian from Australia. He speaks, he's so powerful because of his story. But he also speaks to secular groups. I mean, this, it's, so I've got two different contacts of two different pastors that have had him that I'm starting to work on. And with, Lord willing, within the next year or two, I'm going to have him here because of his testimony. And his name is Nick Vukchik. And I'll give you a picture of him right here. This is Nick. Nick was born without arms and without legs. He's married. He has children. Listen to what, listen to what Nick. He, you, you need to Google him. 
all right, and pull him up and listen to him speak. Listen to what he, he blows me away. He is somebody that understands rejoice always in spite of your circumstances. Listen to what he said. This is so awesome. He says, people often ask me how I manage to be happy despite having no arms and no legs. The quick answer is, is that I have a choice. I can be angry about not having limbs or I can be thankful that I have a purpose. He says, I choose gratitude. Come on, how many of y'all think that's a pretty healthy perspective? Isn't that awesome? So Paul says, pray without ceasing, give thanks, honor God, love God, regardless of what's going on in your life. Matter of fact, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that immediately things will change, but immediately you will change. I love what it says in verse 18, in everything, here it is, in everything. Everybody say, in everything. In everything, give thanks. I didn't say for everything. Thank you for that blown tire. Thank you for that. That's silly. But in everything, regardless of that thing, regardless of that going on, regardless, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to thank you that I'm alive. I'm going to thank you that I still have breath. I'm going to thank you that I still have a purpose. I'm going to thank you that I still have energy. That's what Nick did. Could you imagine, Nick, anybody that could truly feel sorry for themselves? But he sees his purpose. It's interesting, I, my, my daughter, I, I, she was going back to school. She was on a fall break. And um, so this summer, she got in a car wreck. She was interning at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Actually, the song we sang, the last song, is written by that, that church, Elevation Church. And she was interning and writing small group lessons. That's what she was doing as an intern. She's between her sophomore and junior year, she gets in this car wreck. Cuts her head open, gets a concussion. It wasn't her fault. She was on the interstate. It was horrible. Had to bring her back. Switch colleges to get her closer. So she's in for a, a, um, a break this last week. And Sunday, my wife and my daughter and my other little daughter from China, she was, she was in the car. My daughter's driving, and she gets hit. Breaks her arm. This is Sunday. And so I'm going to the, she's going to the hospital, you know, and she's laying there. And then I bring her home. She's got this port in her arm, and she's got this 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 to to, to keep her arm. It's she snapped one of the things. She's got this. So it's this whole deal. And she had an operation on Monday with a play. And why am I saying that? She and she was kind of tearing up. She goes, Dad, why 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 is this? What what is up? And is there you know, it's last eleven weeks. What is going on? I said, Well, honey, you know, obviously we're going to pray, and we'll make sure to push back anything that's not good. But I will say this, if you linger, don't miss what I'm about to say, please. If you linger too long, lingering, looking at the cup of why, you're going to become a victim real quick. Don't drink from that cup. Watch this. Let's shift and not look at the cup of why, but let's look at the cup of what now. What now? Thank God you're not dead. Thank God this thing will be off. Thank God. Thank. Are y'all with me? Listen, I'm not minimizing, mitigating, or depreciating at any level any of the circumstances that anybody's going through at any of our campuses and here. I'm not at all. But I will say this. Thank God that you're alive. Thank God that you're here. And you still have a purpose. Come on. How many of y'all grateful for that? You still have a purpose. You still have a purpose. Uh-oh. The stopwatch. I got to keep moving along here. Number three, I, I, I've got, I, I think Paul's got literally about 20 seconds left, and I got to move fast, all right? I got five or six minutes. Paul's got 20 seconds. Let's see if I can do it. Y'all ready? 
Number three, live saturated with the Holy Spirit. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? Pretty good biblical wisdom. Look at verse 19 to 21. Paul says this, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. So verse 19 tells us, do not quench the Spirit. What does it mean to quench the Spirit? Here's what it means. The word quench actually means, watch this, to put out. In other words, to disinvite. You ever invite somebody into your home? When you quench them, technically speaking, you are disinviting them. You're telling them to leave. I don't know if you ever had those, an encounter like that before. So, so when we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, the presence of Almighty God. Now, when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God comes to live in your heart. But God manifests his presence, and you feel his tangible spirit as we welcome his presence into our life on a daily basis. Lord, manifest your presence in my life. So Paul says, whatever you do, watch this, don't push the Spirit out. Don't do that. In other words, when the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, you need to apologize to your spouse. Don't say, that's the devil. <laughs> How do you know the devil's not suggesting that you should apologize to anybody? Are y'all with me? That, that, the devil doesn't do that. He's back to the get even scripture. He wants you to get even. So when the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says to you, the person at work that's next to you, it's going to cost you some energy, go share with them that God loves them. Wow, I don't want to do that. You know, after all, time out, time out. Don't quench the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is talking to you. The Spirit of God is moving through your life and His wisdom and His power. He's enveloping you. I love the scripture in Luke chapter 3, 16. I indeed baptize you with water. John the Baptist says, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He will baptize you. That means to be immersed with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, Paul says, listen, very echoing the, the words of John, to be immersed, to be filled with the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't disinvite the Spirit's work in your heart and through your life. And then he says something that's interesting. Here's what he also says. Next verse, he says in verse 20, he says, do not despise prophecies. Well, what does that mean? What is a prophecy? A prophecy is a Holy Spirit-inspired word of encouragement that God will use a human being to be able to deliver to you. It's a word. It's a word of encouragement. It's a, it's a word to, to lift or to give perspective. So, so it's, 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 it's the agency of the delivery system. The delivery system is a human being. But, 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 but the actual product itself is, is God originated. So it's, it's God speaks to someone to give someone else. So it's kind of like a Domino's pizza delivery person, right? God makes the pizza, but you have a delivery person. So here's what Paul said. Paul said, listen, I'm making some pizzas, and I'm going to have some people from time to time to deliver them to you. Don't despise that. Now, but notice the caveat. But then he says, test all things. So what does that mean? That means if anybody delivers a pizza to you, i.e. a prophecy, you've got to test it. How do I test it? Number one, according to the word of God. If anybody ever gives you a word from God that contradicts the word of God, say, thank you, but no thanks. Because God's not going to speak to somebody to give them a word for you that's going to contradict what we already know is revealed in the word of God. Does that make sense? 
So, so number one, how do I test it? Number one, I test it according to the word. Number two, I test it according to their character. Are they submitted to authority? Are they just a lone ranger out there doing whatever they want? Doing with, Do they have a pastor? Are they part of a church? Are they part of a community of believers? Or are they just a lone ranger out there? By the way, people try to give me words all the time. All the time. Who do I listen to? I listen to my pastors. I listen to people I know their character. I know that they're holy. I know that they have a word from God. I trust them. Does that make sense? You don't just listen to anybody, you know, just along, hey, I got a word for it. Well, really? Do I know them? Do I know? Is there a track record? I'm testing. Everybody say testing. I'm testing according to the word, according to their character, according, according to their track record, according to who walks with them. Does anybody know them? People will say something, you know, I have a word for Pastor Steve. Do we know you? Are you in a small group? Is there fruit in your life? Are you holy? Do you actually read the Bible? That's important. Don't let anybody just speak into your life unless you know them, unless they're filled with the Spirit, filled with God, and they've got a track record of adding value to people's lives. Come on, how many of y'all received that? That's important. That's important. But don't despise that process. Just make sure it's the right people. Oh, gosh, we've got seconds left. Paul's wrapping this thing up. Last thing. Y'all ready? Verse 22. Your student, your your son or daughter is going to college. Somebody's going off. The last few things you're going to say. Here they are. Verse 22 to 24. Abstain from every form of evil. Wow. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify, that means to set apart, Set you apart completely and may your whole spirit, everybody say spirit. What's this next word? Soul. And what's that next word? Body. What you do with your body is a big deal to God. What you do in your mind, will, and emotions. What you do with your inner life and inner world, your spirit's good. And be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he who calls you is faithful who will also do it. So let's go back and I'll close. Number one, he says, abstain from every form of evil. How do we abstain from evil? Just because we just try hard? I'm going to not look at bad things. I'm going to... Christianity is not about your willpower. Sure, you have a choice, but it's your choice empowered by the Spirit of God that is working in you, sanctifying you, giving you the power to say no to sin and yes to God. To say no to idolatry and yes to God worship. To say no to harmful things and yes to good things. So it's your choice empowered by the Spirit that gives you the grace and the enablement to actually do the right thing. I've, I've seen people try to fight addictions on their own, and, and they, they're, it's admirable, it's good, but it's a whole lot easier to fight addictions when you've got God's help. When you've got God's help, I'm telling you. So we make a choice. Everybody say a choice. I've got to make the choice. I've had other people say before, if God wants me to be free of this, he'll free me. No, it's co-laboring with God. You make the choice, but God empowers your choice to walk away. And as you walk away, God empowers you even more to make right choices. So it's your choice empowered by God's spirit as he sanctifies you. And he who is faithful will do it. I told you this a couple weeks ago. There were some things in my life when I became a believer six months into it that I just needed broken off of my life. And I got prayer, and I had people helping me, and I had people praying for me. I had to make the choice 
to walk away, but I, could, I didn't have the power in my own strength. But when God enabled me by the power of the Holy Spirit, his power enabled my choice to walk away, and I was able to flee it. Pastor, are you still free of that? Hey, i got to continue to make good choices, and i got to continue to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Are you all with me? How many of y'all grateful for the power of God? Come on, are you all grateful? I want you guys to stand.